Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 6th of 2021. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. This week on the podcast, we are going to talk about the GM search, which is ongoing. Uh, the Penguins are looking to wrap this up in a few weeks. Uh, some candidates have said no. Some candidates have been told no by their teams, and we still have some other interviews uh, either that have happened or, or ongoing, so we're going to have some thoughts on that. And then we'll address the roster, the, the, the team, and where they stand in the East Division uh, moving forward after having a week of no action because the New Jersey Devils were not very careful with COVID and got everything canceled the entire week. So um, that's the game plan today. So Jim Rutherford, gone, obviously. It's been um, a week and a half or so since that happened, surprisingly. And the Penguins are kind of in this weird spot where I think some of the guys they want can't be interviewed or have said no, and they're going to have to continue to truck on forward with their other candidates. This doesn't feel like they're going to end up with Alvin just as default, and they're going to go, he was always our choice. Does it? He's getting a second interview. Uh, I read that in Rob Rossi's piece today. So had a first interview and is now going to have a second one. So I guess the door is open for that. I think the biggest news out of any of it is Chris Drury, I, I believe, was one of their uh, highly considered candidates. And he withdrew his own name. So the Penguins weren't like, no, thank you. He was like, no, thank you. And he actually got a promotion with the Rangers today, I believe. Associate GM or... I, I don't, <laughs> I, is associate above assistant? Like, whatever oh, sure. the uh, semantics are with that. He, he got a promotion today with the Rangers. And you have to wonder... Not... Like... There's only 31, uh, soon to be 32, well, I guess there are already 32 general manager positions in the league, and to actively be like, eh, nah, I'm good, uh, speaks to maybe the Penguins gig not being as enticing as people tried to spin it early on with 20 candidates and all this, uh, with an aging core minimal futures and not much cap flexibility it's it's not really that enticing no i wouldn't i wouldn't if you're anybody in drury's position that has gone through management but hasn't had a crack at being a, a gm yet why would you want to take a role like this one on you, you you're not the, the team isn't trending in the right direction so you're jumping onto a sinking ship, really, and then are they going to give you five years to get there and you know acquire assets, you know rejig the roster? The Penguins have declared they're in a win now mode, so I don't know how any GM can do that for starters. <laughs> Your classic three-year GM thing: you get three years. Two years you're going to spend trying to chase the cup. You screw that up, you get one year to do a full rebuild. <laughs> yeah. Do you want the screwed. gig? It's a tough, that's tough. It's one of the tougher GM uh, situations for someone to jump into in the league. Uh, Rutherford set off a grenade and said, I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, compromise the current roster. And, you know, the Penguins were always going to have this decline coming. It, it was inevitable. It would have been so incredibly hard to seamlessly transfer from cup contender, Crosby, Milk, and Aging. Oh, we're still good and we're still competitive. Like, 
that's a tough tough thing to do and perhaps the reason why the penguins were so interested in Drury is because the rangers not that they were cup contenders i don't want to suggest that but they went from being competitive to not doing a full rebuild as far as stripping everything down to its parts because they still kept Zabinijad, they still kept Kreider, uh, they signed Artemi Panarin. Like that's not something a, a, a tanking team does. And um, kind of like the Spurs in a sense. And I know you're 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 more of a basketball guy than I. But when David Robinson got hurt and they got the number one pick, they weren't really like rebuilding. No, but, but it fell in their lap. They... Alex Lafreniere kind of falls in their lap. So their 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 non rebuild will depend on if Lafreniere turns into a Tim Duncan. Yeah, I'm not seeing it right now. But again, no, but that's but it, fundamentally though. That's what that's like. That that's not that draft pick is not brilliant management. That's a lotto ball falling in the right way for the Rangers. So. If that works out well for them, they they will have they will have been able to circumvent the traditional, be terrible, quote unquote, earn the draft pick by failure, and then obviously rebuild up out of that. I mean, you look at the way Pittsburgh rebuilt their team; they were terrible for so long that they had Crosby, Malkin, Fleury, Stall, all first round draft picks, recreated the franchise from that. L- lucky with um, said, <laughs> yes. But they um, would have had a very high draft pick that year, if even if they lost the lottery. To your point, mm. <laughs> but not Sid. Might have been Jack Johnson. Who knows? Third uh, overall that year. That's very true. But you you have a look at the way the the Penguins team was reconstructed. Think about the pain that went on. Watching think of Dick Tantrum. Like you you go all the way back. Like, it's not just the 16 years that we've got to watch these guys play or however long it's been. You've got to go further back than that and go, they were that bad for that long, and it only turned out as well as it has because those they got the lotto balls and those players lived up to what they needed to be at the time. Get an Al Yakupov in amongst that, and this team's not... You know what I mean? Like Even a new Alexander... Hopkins, who is a decent NHL player. That's yeah, not good you know, enough, though, at number not, one. Not for, yeah, not for the... That's the thing. Like, you've, you've got to get, you know, superstar value out of a, out of a first round, first pick, draft pick. And if you don't, everything goes sideways for that franchise because you've usually caused so much damage to end up there that, you know, if they don't, if they don't pull to the standard you're expecting, well, you're, you're pretty screwed. So I know that they're trying to say, oh, Drury's helped the quick rebuild. I get that. But he had nothing to do with the lotto pick. At least the Lafreniere versus Kako. I love that. Lafreniere was, you know, the Penguins could have got him. (laughs) Yes, that's That's, true. That's that's how that one was working. Uh, But they were number two overall. They they did have a bad record for that year, but... you know, you're signing high-end free agents. That's not the norm for, uh, you know, a team tanking and, and doing it that way, like maybe the Sabres did with Eichel or anything like that. So, you know, Chris Drury off the board. As of right now, according to uh, Greg Wazinski of ESPN and Puck Soup, they have not even asked for permission for Tom Fitzgerald, who is another guy that I think they're pretty high on. So they're not even getting the opportunity to talk to him right now. Although, you know, at the very least, the thing with that one, do they really need to talk to him? I think he was with them a decade. (laughs) They don't need to talk to him or Botterill. If they were going to walk down that, the, Internal retread, just to put it that way. Yeah, you don't. You, you need to just be able to go. Do you want to come work for us and have him say yes or no? And if I was Jersey, I wouldn't let Pittsburgh ask the question. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose um, the yes or no is to, to leave anyways, <laughs> not just the interview. Uh, but Jason Potterill, I believe Seattle said no. I don't blame them. <laughs> and I'm totally fine with that. I actually don't. Um, there was a time where I would I would have very much entertained Jason Botterill as the Penguins GM. But I think the Buffalo stuff, even though the Pagulas kneecapped him with the O'Reilly trade, uh, him keeping Rasmus Ristolainen is such a huge red flag to me. You had an asset who stinks, who had perceived value, and you sat on it. And that's that's a no that's a no-go for me. And he wasn't very active as a general manager, which is something that you would absolutely have to be as the Penguins general manager being hired right now because David Morehouse has very specifically said, we're, a con- we're going for the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, Jim Rutherford, very active to a fault. But you can't come in to clean up Jim's mistakes with somebody who's passive. Well, you can't sit on your hands. You're exactly right. You do need to be aggressive. It's a really good point, actually. So I don't think Botterill fits that, and I'm fine that he stays in Seattle. So um, we also have Ron Hextall, who interviewed recently. And I think in that Rob Rossi article they mentioned how Hextall was put off by the fact he has to report to David Morehouse. (laughs) So, you know, I think there's going to be tension or potential roadblock with any of these candidates uh, to have to report to him. I think that's actually the reason Rutherford pieced out was a rift between those two. Not saying Morehouse was necessarily wrong in the rift. I think the Penguins wanted to move towards a more holistic approach, and Rutherford wanted the the greedy, I want to run everything approach. And instead of waiting till his contract ended in June, he selfishly left. (laughs) Well, if that's what they wanted, they literally gutted his entire staff. Well, I think COVID has something to do with that. I do think that the Penguins are cheapskates, and I know they spend to the cap, but there's other things, you know. Yes, that you can cheap out on. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I think I think COVID certainly played a role in that. Um, they did lose, you know, assistant GMs to GM positions with Botterill and Guerin and Fitzgerald. So it's not like they automatically could have kept them, but they could have hired other people. (laughs) They didn't. And the timing of Rutherford leaving is at a bad time. It was a dick move. Yes, it was. Um, So Hextall is probably one of the better candidates. He, he did a good job with the flyers, but the, the flyers owners wanted to turn the corner quicker uh, the question with Hextall, as I think we mentioned in the other one of the previous podcasts, is, you know, they're trying to be a contender now. Hextall's thing was building towards the future. Can he be active in the short term and then do the thing he did with the Flyers? But he's got no assets here to be attached to. So if he's going to come in and you want to keep the job, you're either going to sink or swim on your aggressiveness. He was aggressive as a player. Yeah, I was saying how they should have um, should have had Rob Brown in on the uh, Zoom call <laughs> <laughs> just to get a reaction out of him. Can you handle? Oh, I love that. Can you handle this interview? <laughs> so he's a candidate. Chris McFarland from the Avalanche, assistant GM, is a candidate. And by all accounts, he's like the opposite of Jim Rutherford, who's not based on gut feeling. He's I'm going to really dive in and make sure I'm covering all my bases before I do anything. I'm, I'm all for that. Like that, a math teacher's dream. Double check, <laughs> triple check. I, I'm happy with that. It's just I don't think it would fit in this environment. 
like you said, everybody that they've sort of spoken about is, as you said, a little more circumspect. Now, that circumspection would have been much better three years ago, coming out of the second Stanley Cup win. You know, check the numbers, triple check the numbers, and then get there and make a decision so that the players around the superstars can support a little bit more. Not the let's just go by gut feel garbage. And that's probably the problem that the Penguins find themselves in. They're, they're looking for the right GM at the wrong time, if that makes sense. What a legend Rutherford would be if he retired on his original three-year contract. It would have been after the second cup. Bottle rule would have still been there, right? And who's just, you know... After the the Sabres stuff, who's to say he'd even do a good job? No, but no, I, I fully understand that. But I, I don't just feel I, like he wouldn't honestly, have got As critical as we are of Rutherford, I don't blame him for being like, oh, two cups in a row, I'll do a little more. Um, it's but pretty human reaction. But his original contract was three years. He had the crappy first year, oh, like amazing second year, and it got two cups. And then after that has been, you know, here we are. <laughs> so the thing that's interesting there is, like, obviously we're poking a bit of fun at Rutherford, but that's on management too. Like, that's on them going, you know what, we are going to extend you. They had, they didn't have to. They could have just told the old crew uh, to walk. Who, who would, I mean, what organization would be like, yeah, you're done. One that, one that believes in the staff that they're supposed to have been nurtured? Yeah, but... I'm Maybe just, you I'm don't give them another three-year thing. Maybe you you're, keep giving them a one-year, like, all right, you earned it. You're not wrong. No general manager's taken a one-year deal after they've won two. But you know what I mean? Like, that's just not... Some um, of this is hindsight. Yes, of course. I Some just, of it's you, not, you, though. Some of yeah. it is... He's, he was a GM, like, 18 years before he got the Penguins job. Yeah. You knew what you had... Excuse me. You knew what you had. You weren't trying to find out, were you? So, Chris McFarland still out there, still interesting. Um, I guess the Pierre Maguire of this round of interviews is going to be Kevin Weeks. All right, hold up a second. I'm not. What's the geo mofo you? with this? No, I am trying to work out where Kevin Weeks even came from. So I've missed this through everything. It, it might have been a. A little bit unfair and i apologize to kevin for comparing him to pierre he is personable and seems like a great dude whereas pierre seems like a complete fucking weirdo and <laughs> an egomaniac so obviously we're dealing with two different calibers of people but as far as like what i meant for the comparison is we have this media guy that we're going to give serious consideration to. And the Kevin Weeks thing, he, like, he does a great job on TV because he's personable and he has a great TV personality. But if you want to dig into the substance of it all, like, I've always found his analysis to be, like, this side of Keith Jones. Like, it's not, it's not like... Groundbreaking. It's not in depth, it's not yeah. It's it's surface level. He nails it out of the park. How about you become a scout or like an assistant GM or like <laughs> the arrogance is the wrong word, I think. You're gonna jump in and be a GM for the Pittsburgh Penguins in one of the toughest um transition periods of any team can go through where you're like dealing with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, who are two of the best players that have ever played the sport. You can't bail on them openly, <laughs> but you still have to prop them up, get support around them and seamlessly transition into that new era. Kevin Weeks is that guy. The fuck he is. Okay. <laughs> He's, he's it's, not. It's it's funny, you know, when you lay out all of those steps and the fact that people have knocked the job back 
Um, and you mentioned Morehouse a couple of times for a couple of different people. The more and more this gets talked about on this podcast, the more and more I think they're going to end up with Alvine. You know why? I'm good nobody's with it. Gonna, nobody's going to want the job. I'm good with it for the rest of the season. Rather than jump into something that you don't want, but you just wanted a guy because you needed a guy during the year because Jim Rutherford's a dickhead kind of thing. Yeah. But the Kevin they needed Weeks organizational stuff is, restructure there. Yeah. The, the Kevin Weeks stuff is just eye-rolling. Like, <laughs> all right. He interviewed for the Panthers, I believe, when, when Talon got fired. You know, if you want to interview him, fine. But it's just weird that you would, you know, put some resources and time into somebody who has literally no experience at all like for the same reason i wouldn't want sam ventura to be the gm of the penguins i think it would be unfair to him i think like you'd be asking so much of somebody that just has never been in that spot you're putting him in a really difficult situation and the same I feel for Kevin Weeks. So I don't, I don't think he's a serious candidate, but it's just, again, eye-rolling. Uh, Mike Fuda is another guy that um, the... Where's, where's he from? L.A. He, he was right. an assistant GM, and he dealt with some scouting and stuff like that. And obviously L.A. is considered to have one of the better prospect pools right now. You see, so this is the thing. All of these guys are like prospecty guys, right? Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> you yeah, know? Well, well, they've said they're not there yet. That's the thing. It's like, are they just saying that publicly and they're going to get there and bring in a guy? It's like, all right, just reorganize the, the, the organization. Just, you know, do it. That's the bit that I'm sitting there going, these guys aren't movers and shakers. So, I mean, if you wanted to do the Kevin Weeks, Patrick Alvin thing. Uh, back to Mike Gillis wanting to be more of a president of operations and you have these people under you. I'd be more open to that. But again, David Morehouse seems to, to want that. So I don't like the candidacy of Mike Gillis as much anymore. Not because I don't think uh, he'd be good, but because I don't think this hierarchy in the penguins organization will uh you know allow it <laughs> i guess just yeah i they're too them not pulling the trigger on this at the not the not last year when they got bailed out the year the year before when they lost to the islanders right got swept that's probably when they should have given him the ass. Who? Because they still they uh, Rutherford they still had assets that were that were available to be used. There weren't many of them, but you could have taken a much different approach back then. Now you're two two years further on with less assets and a roster that, if healthy, is smacked to the cap. You've got no flexibility. No. So all you can do is trade players away and get back uh, get back draft picks and stuff or prospects. And usually with the contracts that Penguins have got signed at the moment to get rid of these contracts, they're giving up assets. Yeah. It. Um, so we'll see where this goes. It, it's obviously a moving and breathing thing, so... But they have set a time limit for a few weeks, and I assume things will pick up. We're going to get a lot of rumors, and we'll talk about them when we get them. So that is, um, that's your GM update. Yeah, we don't really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I can't pretend to know the like intricate intricacies of their their skill sets as general managers, but... Uh, just based on the widely reported things about them. so, But see where it goes. 
as far as the on ice product that's happening, you know, they were supposed to play the Devils twice this week. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> COVID, you know. And they're going to play the Islanders tomorrow. But we've had a lot of defensive injuries. If the team was to play the Devils this week, Cody Cece would have been top pairing, and he would have been the only Penguins defender active from opening night. What was the year they just kept losing losing players? Well, according to the tweet I attached to my blog, every year, them and the Canucks <laughs> are the highest-ranking teams among man games lost in the last decade. It does make you think what if, in regards to the, just the sheer raw totals of Crosby and Malcolm, because they've been, and Latang, I suppose, because they've been major parts of those, oh, crap, Pittsburgh don't have all of their players' scenarios. It 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 is, it's a little bit of the Lemieux curse, I suppose. Um, you just don't really get to see the ridiculous numbers. And I mean, Sid was out right in the peak of his peak. Peak. <laughs> Sid lost his best years. I'm still angry about it. Fuck David Steckel. Fuck you, David Steckel. You did it on purpose. You're a piece of shit. Absolutely. Um, but the Penguins haven't played. They've gotten the opportunity to host multiple practices, which originally weren't in the cards at all, and probably to their benefit because Chris Letang and Mike Matheson skated without any limitations at practice yesterday, and John Marino was at practice again today. So they might be getting, you know, a number of players back, including maybe even perhaps Zach Aston Reese on the forward end of things. Hey! I don't think that one moves the needle as much as the defense ones, but um, I do feel good for... Aston Reese, who had major shoulder surgery, it's always good to work your way back into being available, and that's a big accomplishment. So, feel good for him on a personal level. Don't know how it will translate um, to team success, Be considering Pittsburgh's problems are offensive-related, not defensive-related, re and his strength is defensive. What What can they do to to fix that because we were discussing this before the podcast trying to think of stuff to talk about because they're not playing and I was a bit like you know you coach as you've said on this podcast multiple times there's only so much X's and O's that you can change or modify defensively and offensively with this sport everything else sort of comes from the skill sets of the players now they're depleted in the back six at the moment, and we already thought that everything was a bit thin up and down the lineup. How do you go about generating more offense? Is there anything you can do systemically with the way they're playing to open it up, or is it just reduce shots, pray your goalies have a better save percentage that might get a nine in front of it at some stage this year, and rely on the fact that you have a few superstar players that can create stuff on their own? I firmly believe that X's, X's and O's in hockey are vastly overrated in the sense that they're not, obviously, they, they make a difference in certain scenarios. But the way the Penguins roster is built, X's and O's are not going to save them to make them a more offensive team. They are top-heavy. And the top-heavy players, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, do not have a 5-on-5 five -five goal. So I don't even care what you want to come up with as far as a four-check, a defensive zone system, a neutral zone regroup, or whatever. That, well, power plays a whole different animal. That's probably the one area that X's and O's actually matter, is the power play. It's one of the few set pieces in hockey. Uh, their power play sucks. There are improvements to be made there. But as far as five on five, 
Um, if I look at Micah Blake McCurdy's uh, heat maps, they're a minus 10% offensive team in the league. So they're they're below, way below league average. And they are minus 15% defensively. So they're really good defensively. Their power play is minus 34%. It's a true steaming pile of shit. And their power play is minus 22%. It's been pretty good. They're a defensive club. And they built it that way with the assumption that... I'll tell you what. Rutherford built this club under the assumption that Crosby and Malkin were 27 years old. That was a little while ago, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, like seven years ago for one of them. And, uh, you know, that's... That's what happens. You should have been building to support Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Melkin and taking the burden off of them offensively. They went in the other direction, and it's not my chosen path. I am not a big believer on investing into defense. I'd rather have people that uh, can rather than people that uh, try to stop the people that can. If that makes and sense. they have proven that in this era of hockey, you can win that way. <laughs> Every cup I, of theirs I, has been won that way. Yeah, and I suppose that's the frustrating thing. It's like, why move away from that? They've won five like, Stanley Cups. What one of them are you like? Yeah, they're defense first, baby. They're like the total poster child for let's let's rev it up and go. And the, uh, every. Everyone that they win, another team wins the other way, and coaches go, "Well, I've got control over that. I can lock everything down." I love it when my players don't make me make any choices as a coach, and I just tell them to go out there and rock and roll. <laughs> That's the best. I don't need to yes. have my fingerprints on anything. Hey, we'll run some basic stuff that makes sense for the skill set, because there's only so many four checks. You know, you you base it on what you got on your back end. Are they how good at skaters are they? I happen to, um, I love running a, a too hard forward forecheck, and then having the defenseman being able to pop up on both sidewalls. Um, but some years, you know, we don't have that many defensemen that can skate that well because it is a tiring thing for them. Um, so we have to do other things. Put you base it on what you got in front of you. But as far as like offensive generation, it doesn't matter what four check we've ever run. That's based on the skill. Like, can these players attack time and space? Do they have puck skills? And the Penguins have what they have. And it's not that impressive, to be honest, as far as offensive skill on this team when you're dealing with aging curves. The bottom six is not, like, Jankowski is just laughably pathetic this year. Jared McCann is just the guy lately. Uh, Brandon Tanev, very good defensive player. He's not producing anything offensively. Um, If you want to point to um, points with him, he, he did have some early points on the year. But as far as his offensive production... It's um, it's been lacking as far as like the 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 advanced analytics stuff. And if I'm can pull up uh, Micah Blake McCurdy stuff, he he he's he's in the negative offensively, is what I think. That's not good, Bob. No, it's not. And look, the other elephant, well, it's not an elephant in the room, everybody knows it. Gino's being absolutely atrocious. And like you said, the team was built around the fact that the expectation was that Crosby and Malcolm were 27. Malcolm is playing out there like he's forgotten that he has to play. It's just, you know, I'm not expecting it to be a, a career-ending sort of like fall-off-the-map kind of thing, but it would be worrying that it's extended to as far as it has into the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing with Gino. He's, he's making excuses publicly. I heard 
him yeah, that's not him good. taking uh you know not enough gyms in russia open sure i get it covid but i'm i'm thinking like if kenny malkin can find it a, a gym <laughs> you know or you know buy the stuff himself <laughs> right probably <laughs> but um he he also came out and is talking about the lack of fans and it's like i love i love malkin he's one of my favorite players period ever but i i pay people to play hockey in front of no fans you can <laughs> fucking do it for 9.5 million don't give me that bullshit come on gino yeah, he's never it's not gonna fly it's um it's not good his start hasn't been good but i do think some of the criticism might be a little bit over the top because i know the points haven't been coming but if i were to tell you on uh, hockey viz that his offense is plus 20 percent, would you believe it no no i wouldn't you just no, it is that, that's hard to believe it is yeah his defense is um, plus three, which is, uh, you know, below average slightly. But we're not really looking for him to that. So if you're looking for uh, a glass half full with Evgeny Malkin, plus 20% on Micah's stuff, he's in it. And, and it's an isolated impact. It takes and strips away all of the noise. He's not horrible offensively even though it's looked horrible and i get it some of these turnovers drive me nuts too like gino what the fuck was that you've never done that before (laughs) it looks like you're not even like invested his body language all of his comments and even after all that there's evidence that it hasn't been that bad it does show you how good he is. That's the thing. Like, he looks like shit. I'm not even debating it. He He's frustrated me more than he ever has. I And some people look to be frustrated by him. I'm the opposite of that. I've been frustrated by him. But that's where this kind of context comes into place. He's not been a net negative, even though the points and oh, goals it looks have like come. It. But... The points and goals are magnified because the bottom six sucks offensively. I mean, they flat out are not good offensively. Uh, Brandon Tanev, who I was trying to look up earlier, is minus 10% offensively. That's not good. He's minus three, and he's only minus three defensively. That's not a huge impact and you're paying 3.5 million for that so but he looks busy he looks like he's doing stuff it looks like and that's the thing like he's more entertaining to watch than jared mccann who's probably better than him i get that yeah but it does show you how it's the whole argument of the eye test and the numbers it's like what's providing the team with value and what's not and I tell you what, the fact that Malcolm's numbers are saying X and you look at him out on the ice, you go, they've got to be tracking somebody else. Surely that's wrong. Because it does not look like that's possible in regards to his ability to get certain things right. <laughs> yeah, most of, most of the bottom six is a negative offensively on, on the hockey biz stuff, including McCann. And Bluger, people are people want to believe that Teddy Bluger is going to take this step and to what I, step to I where? I don't know. I just whatever step they're talking about, I don't see it. He's a fine depth oh, great. player. He does not yeah, hurt. Great them. if they're right. He does not hurt no. them. If you want him as your fourth line center, it's not going to hurt you. Asking him to be the third line center with Tanev and McCann, 
Like, it's not a great line. Not a great line. They'll probably have three goals between them against the Islanders tomorrow. Because I said that, but... That's what happens. Without fail. (laughs) Always happens. And, um, you know, at least the defense is getting healthier. Mike Matheson, you know, for all the faults of that contract, if you strip the contract away, is better than watching Kevin Churchman play, okay? He's going to do better than him. That's a step up. You know, we can get into the the other stuff with the, the contract and that, and obviously, you know, he's not a player that you want to pay $4.8 million. But if we're talking about the now, the Penguins needing to get points, him coming in over Kevin Churchman, or at least, you know, him coming in and Kevin Churchman isn't like a top four defenseman, that's a good thing. Depth is always a always a challenge with this team because they're never healthy. Yeah, this year this year's been something. To lose five out of your starting um, opening night six defensemen is tough. Except it wasn't that tough because they never had to do it in a game. Thank you to the Devils. Could have been so, bad. Yeah, with with the, all the injuries, like Alvin's not gonna not gonna fire the coach, right? New general manager comes in because they decide that they want to. Do at what, at what point, even with all these injuries that are floating around at the moment, at what point do you get there? Because this could go very, very south very quickly for Pittsburgh with the injuries and the fact that plays they need to be playing well are not. At what point do you panic? Like, is it a five-game straight-out losing streak where they're terrible? Or do you know what I mean? Like... They're, they're saying they want to make the playoffs and have a crack at the cup. You, you you don't have many games that you can fool around with. Well, the problem is the same reason that they don't have like a robust front office behind Rutherford. COVID, money. Mike Sullivan just signed an extension. You fire him, you got to pay him. And again, yeah, you're not getting an outside coach. You're getting. Reardon or Vellucci? It'll be Reardon. I don't think it will. Really? I think it would... Well, I don't want to say that. I think it's a coin flip. Okay. I I reckon it's the only reason Reardon's there. Well, that and he got canned from Washington. And he has to take an assistant job to get back. I mean, I can't rule out that they would go that that way, but I think, um, well, put it this way. It's one of the two. Yeah. We, yeah, we yeah, can yeah. split hairs with all of the other stuff, but they're not going to hire somebody from the outside, so. Yes, that's true. You know, I don't know. Does that actually change anything? Um, well, I suppose not. It's, it's always interesting when you see teams get a new coach. There's usually that dead cat bounce. And then you got to work out whether it's going to sustain or whether it's just going to tank even further. That's all. Well, their power play can't get any worse. And if it keeps being crappy, I don't think that's a, a feather in the cap for... Reardon, who's running. Correct. So. Yeah. This, this, you would think that a team that is in this much, we'll call it turmoil for the sake of it, there would be more to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Kind of in but a holding pattern. It, it, it is. It, it really is. It, and it will be until they, they make a decision on the who's who's making the calls. Um, but it's been pointing towards this for a couple of years, like since they won the, the second 
cup in this little It didn't have room. to come this early, though. No, no, it didn't. You're absolutely right. And we've pushed that for ever since. We've always been worried that the support staff for the superstars was going to be tanked by, well, for me, I was always worried that the ability to support the superstars to was into their contracts was going to be tanked by cap issues. But I thought the cap issues would be overpaying uh, guys like Hornquist, which they did, right? But he's now no longer on the... I didn't think it would be someone like Matheson or someone like Jack Johnson. Like, I didn't think it would be or that kind of a screw-up. Yeah, I didn't think it would be those kinds of screw-ups. Like, or maybe overpaying for a Gensel because he got he got interest. You know what I mean? And you can kind of justify that sort of overpayment. But where the overpayments are, are being done, they're, they're errors that can be missed. You can you not do those errors. Like, they're self-inflicted errors. So that's the bit that sort of has me baffled. Yeah. Well... You know, that's that's the reality of it, though. We are not we. The, the Penguins are kind of stuck. Whoever comes in is going to have to undo a Mike Matheson contract. Going to have to undo um, even a Marcus Pedersen contract. Are you really getting $4 million worth out of him? Is that contract valuable to the roster? Uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph would say no. <laughs> this is yes. not, <laughs> and and I I suppose we could finish with that. A, a positive. He's been great. He's been great. Um, very impressed with him so far. Just looks like a kid that doesn't care if he makes a mistake. Don't know what the ceiling which... is don't care i know what i, I know <laughs> yeah. the floor is high that's actually that's a really good way to look at that actually it's a good point I, I mean i care where the ceiling is because if it's if it keeps rising that's awesome um but the floor tells me at least my perception of his floor even in this limited sample is pretty good he's he's pretty you know i I'm actually a little surprised at his size. Pretty big, big dude. Um, yeah, I mean, the, taller the, than the I bonus thought. is, the bonus is that you make the assumption that Marino is more last year than this year, right? And you go, the little bits that we've seen would suggest that, that Pierre, oh God, is it Pierre Oliver? Olivier. Olivier, sorry. Would this isn't suggest... a London production, okay? Yeah, good call. This is a very good call. You would... Um, you get there and go, if he can Marino it for just for this year, like have a really, really good rookie year, you sort of go, well, here are two assets that we weren't really expecting to be at this particular level, and they are. And you go, that's a bonus. Like, Latang was a second-round draft pick. I never had any inklings that he was going to be as good as he was. Right now, I'm not saying these two are going to be that. But where Marino was last year was ahead of where anybody sort of had him. And then uh, Pierre-Olivier, same situation, right? He's, he's definitely in the short time span of him being in the league because he got forced in due to injury, has, has, has progressed, you know, a lot further forward than, than anybody would have expected. So, you know, there is a, there is, you're right, there is a good positive bonus on that. Yeah, it frees up the fact you can trade Marcus Pedersen out. No offense to him, but we don't need that $4 million contract. Well, I would prefer to trade the Matheson one, but you're not moving that. Listen, I'm trying to live in reality here. Yeah, correct. The, uh, yes, I, I appreciate the fact that at some point we have to live in reality. This is not a computer game. Yeah, that one, would it be that one you're kind of stuck with, I think. Um, unless you're willing yeah. to overpay Seattle with like a first round pick but even then like you have to weigh the risk reward well that's just another situation Rutherford's put the team in where I, I was advocating that instead of the first round pick that went towards Kasperi Kapanen I was like 
attach that to Jack Johnson and get him the hell out of here. But now they're paying, you know, some of that buyout uh, for him. Do you really want to spend the next first round draft pick? And by the way, the next one isn't this year. Uh, that's going to no. Minnesota. Do you really want to pay the 2022 to get rid of Matheson? So this is this is their their problem now in regards to giving up first round draft picks in deals. At some point, this team is just going to fall off the map, and who knows? It could be starting this year. Um, and if that's the case, and you've given up a 2023 draft pick, uh, you know, first round 2023 draft pick, because you sort of thought, no, 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 this is sort of our last crack at it, and you miss your first round draft pick but you're in the top five in a deep draft Jesus Christ that poor general manager that's in that situation <laughs> I Look mean we, we talked you know at the beginning of the podcast it's it's not an ideal job if you're somebody with some leverage like Drury who just got a promotion instead you know so Oh, you've got no, you've got no, no reason to want to be a part of this if you're Drury, or any of those assistant GMs that haven't GM'd before. Like Hextel, I can sort of see it. It's like he's been a general manager before, you know, he's an assistant now. To go back up there and go, what have I learnt from my previous situation? I wasn't aggressive enough to do some moves. I got too attached to my prospects. I need to not be like that this time. I mean, that's a Martin huge selling sort of point. See how that would work. Yeah, correct. He's admitted that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I find it. It's an interesting situation to be asking. Uh, first-time goers of the role to risk the future development of their career on taking that job on. Yeah. So, at least, you know, we got some 